Chapter twenty seven of Chrome Yellow by Aldous Huxley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter twenty seven. Mr. Scogan had been accommodated in a little canvas hut, dressed in a black skirt and a red bodice, with a yellow and red bandana handkerchief tied round his black wig he looked sharp-nosed browned and wrinkled like the bohemian hag of frith's darby day a placard pinned to the curtain of the doorway announced the presence within the tent of sesistress the sorceress of ecbatana seated at a table mr scogan received his clients in mysterious silence indicating with a movement of the finger that they were to sit down opposite him and to extend their hands for his inspection he then examined the poem that was presented him using a magnifying glass and a pair of horn spectacles he had a terrifying way of shaking his head frowning and clicking with his tongue as he looked at the lines sometimes he would whisper as though to himself terrible terrible or god preserve us sketching out the sign of the cross as he uttered the words the clients who came in laughing grew suddenly grave they began to take the witch seriously she was a formidable-looking woman could it be was it possible that there was something in this sort of thing after all after all they thought as the hag shook her head over their hands after all and they waited with an uncomfortably beating heart for the oracle to speak after a long and silent inspection mr scogan would suddenly look up and ask in a hoarse whisper some horrifying question such as have you ever been hit on the head with a hammer by a young man with red hair when the answer was in the negative which it could hardly fail to be mr scogan would nod several times saying i was afraid so everything is still to come still to come though it can't be very far off now sometimes after a long examination he would just whisper where ignorance is bliss tis folly to be wise and refuse to divulge any details of a future too appalling to be envisaged without despair sesistress had a success of horror people stood in a queue outside the witch's booth waiting for the privilege of hearing sentence pronounced upon them dennis in the course of his round looked with curiosity at this crowd of suppliants before the shrine of the oracle he had a great desire to see how mr scogan played his part the canvas booth was a rickety ill-made structure between its walls and its sagging roof were long gaping chinks and crannies dennis went to the tea-tent and borrowed a wooden bench and a small union jack with these he hurried back to the booth of sesistress setting down the bench at the back of the booth he climbed up and with a great air of busy efficiency began to tie the union jack to the top of one of the tent poles through the crannies in the canvas he could see almost the whole of the interior of the tent mr scogan's bandana covered head was just below him his terrifying whispers came clearly up dennis looked and listened while the witch prophesied financial losses death by apoplexy destruction by air raids in the next war is there going to be another war asked the old lady to whom he had predicted this end very soon said mr scogan with an air of quiet confidence the old lady was succeeded by a girl dressed in white muslin garnished with pink ribbons she was wearing a broad hat so that dennis could not see her face but from her figure and the roundness of her bare arms he judged her young and pleasing mr scogan looked at her hand then whispered you are still virtuous 
the young lady giggled and exclaimed oh lord but you will not remain so for long added mr scogan sepulchrally the young lady giggled again destiny which interests itself in small things no less than in great has announced the fact upon your hand mr scogan took up the magnifying glass and began once more to examine the white palm very interesting he said as though to himself very interesting it's as clear as day he was silent what's clear asked the girl i don't think i ought to tell you mr scogan shook his head the pendulous brass earrings which he had screwed on to his ears tinkled please please she implored the witch seemed to ignore her remark afterwards it's not at all clear the fates don't say whether you will settle down to married life and have four children or whether you will try to go on the cinema and have none they are only specific about this one rather crucial incident what is it what is it oh do tell me the white muslin figure leant eagerly forward mr scogan sighed very well he said if you must know you must know but if anything untoward happens you must blame your own curiosity listen listen he lifted up a sharp claw-nailed forefinger this is what the fates have written next sunday afternoon at six o'clock you will be sitting on the second stile on the footpath that leads from the church to the lower road at that moment a man will appear walking along the footpath mr scogan looked at her hand again as though to refresh his memory of the details of the scene a man he repeated a small man with a sharp nose not exactly good-looking nor precisely young but fascinating he lingered hissingly over the word he will ask you can you tell me the way to paradise and you will answer yes i'll show you and walk with him down towards the little hazel copse i cannot read what will happen after that there was a silence is it really true asked white muslin the witch gave a shrug of the shoulders i merely tell you what i read in your hand good afternoon that will be sixpence yes i have changed thank you good afternoon dennis stepped down from the bench tied insecurely and crookedly to the tent-pole the union jack hung limp on the windless air if only i could do things like that he thought as he carried the bench back to the tea-tent anne was sitting behind a long table filling thick white cups from an urn a neat pile of printed sheets lay before her on the table dennis took one of them and looked at it affectionately it was his poem they had printed five hundred copies and very nice the quarto broadsheets looked have you sold many he asked in a casual tone anne put her head on one side deprecatingly only three so far i'm afraid but i'm giving a free copy to everyone who spends more than a shilling on his tea so in any case it's having a circulation dennis made no reply but walked slowly away he looked at the broadsheet in his hand and read the lines to himself relishingly as he walked along this day of roundabouts and swings struck weights shied coconuts tossed rings switchbacks aunt sally's and all such small hijinks you call it ferial a holiday but paper noses sniffed the artificial roses of round venetian cheeks through half each carnival year and masks might laugh at things the naked face for shame would blush at laugh and think no blame a holiday but galba showed elephants on an airy road 
jumbo trod the tight-rope then and in the circus armed men stabbed home for sport and died to break those dull imperatives that make a prison of every working day where all must drudge and all obey sing holiday you do not know how to be free the russian snow flowered with bright blood whose roses spread petals of fading fading red that died into the snow again into the virgin snow and men from all the ancient bonds were freed old law old custom and old creed old right and wrong there bled to death the frozen air received their breath a little smoke that died away and round about them where they lay the snow bloomed roses blood was there a red gay flower and only fair sing holiday beneath the tree of innocence and liberty paper nose and red cockade dance within the magic shade that makes them drunken merry and strong to laugh and sing their ferial song free free but echo answers faintly to the laughing dancers free and faintly laughs and still within the hollows of the hill faintlier laughs and whispers free fadingly diminishingly free and laughter faints away sing holiday sing holiday he folded the sheet carefully and put it in his pocket the thing had its merits oh decidedly decidedly but how unpleasant the crowd smelt he lit a cigarette the smell of cows was preferable he passed through the gate in the park wall into the garden the swimming-pool was a centre of noise and activity second heat in the young ladies championship it was a polite voice of henry wimbush a crowd of sleek seal-like figures in black bathing dresses surrounded him his grey bowler hat smooth round and motionless in the midst of a moving sea was an island of aristocratic calm holding his tortoise-shell rimmed pince-nez an inch or two in front of his eyes he read out names from a list miss dolly miles miss rebecca ballister miss doris gable five young persons ranged themselves on the brink from their seats of honour at the other end of the pool old lord molen and mr calamay looked on with eager interest henry wimbush raised his hand there was an expectant silence when i say go 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 he said there was an almost simultaneous splash dennis pushed his way through the spectators somebody plucked him by the sleeve he looked down it was old mrs budge delighted to see you again mr stone she said in her rich husky voice she panted a little as she spoke like a short-winded lapdog it was mrs budge who having read in the daily mirror that the government needed peach-stones what they needed them for she never knew had made the collection of peach-stones her peculiar bit of war-work she had thirty-six peach-trees in her walled garden as well as four hot-houses in which trees could be forced so that she was able to eat peaches practically the whole year round in nineteen sixteen she ate forty-two hundred peaches and sent the stones to the government in nineteen seventeen the military authorities called up three of her gardeners and what with this and the fact that it was a bad year for wall fruit she only managed to eat twenty-nine hundred peaches during that crucial period of the national destinies in nineteen eighteen she did rather better for between january first and the date of the armistice she ate thirty-three hundred peaches since the armistice she had relaxed her efforts now she did not eat more than two or three peaches a day her constitution she complained had suffered but it had suffered for a good cause dennis answered her greeting by a vague and polite noise so nice to see the young people enjoying themselves mrs budge went on 
and the old people too for that matter look at old lord molen and dear mr calamay isn't it delightful to see the way they enjoy themselves dennis looked he wasn't sure whether it was so very delightful after all why didn't they go and watch the sack races the two old gentlemen were engaged at the moment in congratulating the winner of the race it seemed an act of supererogatory graciousness for after all she had only won a heat pretty little thing isn't she said mrs budge huskily and panted two or three times yes dennis nodded agreement sixteen slender but nubile he said to himself and laid up the phrase in his memory as a happy one old mr calamay had got on his spectacles to congratulate the victor and lord molen leaning forward over his walking-stick showed his long ivory teeth hungrily smiling capital performance capital mr calamay was saying in his deep voice the victor wriggled with embarrassment she stood with her hands behind her back rubbing one foot nervously on the other her wet bathing dress shone a torso of black polished marble very good indeed said lord molen his voice seemed to come from just behind his teeth a toothy voice it was as though a dog should suddenly begin to speak he smiled again mr calamay readjusted his spectacles when i say go 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 splash the third heat had started do you know i never could learn to swim said mrs budge really but i used to be able to float dennis imagined her floating up and down up and down on a great green swell a blown black bladder no that wasn't good that wasn't good at all a new winner was being congratulated she was atrociously stubby and fat the last one long and harmoniously continuously curved from knee to breast had been an eve by cronach but this this one was a bad rubens go 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 henry wimbush's polite level voice once more pronounced the formula another batch of young ladies dived in grown a little weary of sustaining a conversation with mrs budge dennis conveniently remembered that his duties as a steward called him elsewhere he pushed out through the lines of spectators and made his way along the path left clear behind them he was thinking again that his soul was a pale tenuous membrane when he was startled by hearing a thin sibilant voice speaking apparently from just above his head pronounced the single word disgusting he looked up sharply the path along which he was walking passed under the lee of a wall of clipped yew behind the hedge the ground sloped steeply up towards the foot of the terrace and the house for one standing on the higher ground it was easy to look over the dark barrier looking up dennis saw two heads overtopping the hedge immediately above him he recognized the iron mask of mr bodiham and the pale colourless face of his wife they were looking over his head over the heads of the spectators at the swimmers in the pond disgusting mrs bodiham repeated hissing softly the rector turned up his iron mask towards the solid cobalt of the sky how long he said as though to himself how long he lowered his eyes again and they fell on dennis's upturned curious face there was an abrupt movement and mr and mrs bodiham popped out of sight behind the hedge dennis continued his promenade he wandered past the merry-go-round through the thronged streets of the canvas village the membrane of his soul flapped tumultuously in the noise and laughter in a roped-off space beyond mary was directing the children's sports 
little creatures seethed round about her making a shrill tinny clamour others clustered about the skirts and trousers of their parents mary's face was shining in the heat with an immense output of energy she started a three-legged race dennis looked on in admiration you're wonderful he said coming up behind her and touching her on the arm i've never seen such energy she turned towards him a face round red and honest as the setting sun the golden bell of her hair swung silently as she moved her head and quivered to rest do you know dennis she said in a low serious voice gasping a little as she spoke do you know that there is a woman here who has had three children in thirty-one months really said dennis making rapid mental calculations it's appalling i've been telling her about the malthusian league one really ought but a sudden violent renewal of the metallic yelling announced the fact that somebody had won the race mary became once more the centre of a dangerous vortex it was time dennis thought to move on he might be asked to do something if he stayed too long he turned back towards the canvas village the thought of tea was making itself insistent in his mind tea 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 but the tea-tent was horribly thronged anne with an unusual expression of grimness on her flushed face was furiously working the handle of the urn the brown liquid spurted incessantly into the proffered cups portentous in the farther corner of the tent priscilla in her royal toque was encouraging the villagers in a momentary lull dennis could hear her deep jovial laughter and her manly voice clearly he told himself this was no place for one who wanted tea he stood irresolute at the entrance to the tent a beautiful thought suddenly came to him if he went back to the house went unobtrusively without being observed if he tiptoed into the dining-room and noiselessly opened the little doors of the sideboard ah then in the cool recess within he would find bottles and a siphon a bottle of crystal gin and a quart of soda-water and then for the cups that inebriate as well as cheer a minute later he was walking briskly up the shady yew-tree walk within the house it was deliciously quiet and cool carrying his well-filled tumbler with care he went into the library there the glass on the corner of the table beside him he settled into a chair with a volume of saint beuve there was nothing he found like a causerie du lundi for settling and soothing the troubled spirits that tenuous membrane of his had been too rudely buffeted by the afternoon's emotions it required a rest end of chapter twenty seven recording by expatriate in bangor maine